Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Then I realized my, that my heart was bitter and I was torn up all up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I belong, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Uh, if you got a Bible with you, ooh, we are in full power now, aren't we? Uh, if you got a Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to actually turn to that passage that Langston read just a minute ago. That's going to be in Psalm 73. If you're new to the scriptures or you're exploring faith, uh, table of contents can totally be your friend at the front and be able to flip uh, to the Psalms. Uh, we are finishing a series today that we've called uh, Decide, and I want to start by just retelling a story that I read a couple months ago from uh, a minister by the name of Andrew Arndt, who uh, speaks of a story that I think is quite a common story. I think it's actually a story that happens for people that want to make decisions that align with God's desire. He tells a story of a young man coming into his office who is grieving over the trajectory of his life decisions. He's someone who has wanted to be faithful to God. He's wanted to follow God's will. And as he tells the story of this decision, he talks about how he had just finished school and he was off to go to law school. And he had two options that were before him. The first was option X, which option X was prestigious. It would have opened a lot of doors for him and it would have also been farther away from home. And then he also had option Y where he could go a little bit closer to home, but it was less prestigious and wouldn't open as many doors. And he spent time praying and seeking God's will. He asked around, he asked others to pray, he weighed out his options, and he heard nothing. No big moments, no major insight in the midst of prayer, no direction from the outside of himself. The only thing that became clear to him 
was that he wanted to move towards option X personally because it looked more attractive to him. So the time came to make a decision. And his friends who surrounded him said, okay, if you fail to pull the option X, then maybe option X is God's will for your life. So he pulls the trigger, makes the decision, goes to the school that's option X. And then in tears, he sits there and talks about how the next year of his life was a nightmare. That the experience was so miserable that he actually quit the pursuit of being a lawyer. And not only did he quit that, but he stopped praying. And as he's reflecting in front of Andrew Arndt, he says to him, where was God? I sought God. I asked God. Did I not go where God was leading me? What was God's will in this? And if God's will was this, then why is this decision so disappointing? I know for some of us in the room, when we've talked about God's will and aligning our lives and making decisions, some of us relate to this story that we thought we were making a decision that aligned with God's will and then we came up disappointed. And I know for others of us, maybe we don't relate with that story, but many of us feel the anxiety in the big weighty decisions that are not clear in our life of making sure we're going the right direction. And that sometimes we can worry ourselves and exhaust ourselves and be anxious of, is this the right decision God wants me to make? Or is there just disappointment that's waiting for me at the end of this road? When we've been in this series on making decisions, this is week number five, when we've talked about many movements within making a decision with God. The first week we talked about how God gives us decisions not to torture us, but God gives us decisions because God loves us and God wants to partner with us. And there is a freedom in being able to make decisions partnering with God. In the second week, we talked about the process of discernment, that people who live and share life with God don't have to just go around and make decisions the same way the world makes decisions, but that we can actually practice discerning. Week three, we talked about what's it like to open our minds, not just to anyone's idea, but open our minds to the mind of Christ. And then last week, we talked about how do we listen and discern and test when God may actually be influencing or leaning us in a certain direction. But for the last week, I just want to pastorally address the common question that may be in the room. Say we do all four of those things that I just listed, and we still feel unsure of where to proceed moving forward. In other words, what do we do when a decision of great importance comes up and we do not sense any particular direction, insight, or guidance from God? How can we know that we are heading in the right direction? How can we be assured that God is leading us? Luckily for us, we are uh, people of the scriptures, or as people would say, of the book. And uh, the authors of the Bible are not unfamiliar with this tension that exists for humanity in trying to reconcile life with God and following life with God. Psalm 73 is an example of this, 
of a writer who is familiar with the worry and anxiety of God's involvement in his life. If you were to follow the mental dialogue of the psalmist up to this point, you would see that he is wrestling through, and this is so relatable to our life experience. He is wrestling through, I know God is good, and the world in which I am operating in does not match the goodness of God. There is a disconnect, a distance between what I know about God and what I am experiencing about God. And in verse 21, where we're going to dwell in this passage, the psalmist moves from being confused and a little bit complaining. <laughs> and in verse 21, his mind hits a turning point in how to move forward with God's direction. And I would like to simply just suggest this may be what a turning point for people who want to do the will of God and what it looks like. If you want to look with me in verse 21, here's the three movements that we see in this portion of the psalm. First, the psalmist reflects. He reflects on his posture towards God. Second, he trusts in the counsel of God. And then in the third movement, he directs his ultimate desire to God. These are the three movements of the psalm. Reflect, trust, and direct desire. And I want to unpack how these three movements can help us in moving forward when we do not sense a direction from God, but we want to stay in God's will. Let's go for the first in reflection. In the beginning of the turning point for the psalmist, it's captured in a couple verses before Psalm 73, 21. Actually, in verse 16, the turning point starts to happen when the psalmist says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. In other words, my head was spinning with all of this tension and decisions until I went back to the place known for the presence and promises of God. In other words, I dwelled in the promises and presence of God. And do you notice when he enters the sanctuary, when you get to verse 21, immediately it changes. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, when I was senseless and ignorant, I was like a brute beast before you. The psalmist moves from reflecting on what is wrong in the world around him to moving to what is not right inside of him. When he gets silent, when he moves towards God, when he moves away from other people, he recognizes the grief and the bitterness and the ignorance and senselessness that are driving him. So much so that he says, I'm in the direction of acting almost as if I'm like an animal. This is what he senses when he gets silent. What's true for the psalmist can be true for us. For many of us who want to start, we need to actually stop. What's needed to move forward is actually to pause. When we do not sense a strong direction, we need to take deeper steps into the solitude and presence of God and ask for what is our posture inside of ourselves. B. 
because silence and solitude with God purifies our hearts and it purifies our intentions. So maybe an image to uh, add with this. When uh, I was growing up, and it's still wrong to say growing up because I still feel this, um, I deeply despise brushing my teeth at night. Dental hygiene is massively important to me, okay? I will do it, but I despise getting out of a warm bed or when I'm extremely tired at night. I do not want to go brush my teeth. And I felt this even as a young uh, person. I remember in sixth grade, I had discovered this wonderful potion that's called Listerine. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a game changer. At night, I don't need to brush my teeth. All I need to do is swish around some Listerine. So for six months before my dental appointment, every night when I was asked by my parents, did you brush your teeth? I wouldn't actually brush my teeth. I'd just swish around some Listerine, spit it out, and I was good to go. And you can imagine what happens, right? Six months later, I show up to the dentist, and I have not one, not two, but three cavities. Because I didn't actually take the time to brush. I just swished around some Listerine. When we bypass solitude and silence with God, we are often missing the decaying and what is lodged inside our hearts that needs to be cleansed by the love of God. Silence away from others is as inconvenient as brushing our teeth. But one of the ways that we mature in our life with God is we actually take time in solitude and silence with God. I know this is difficult for some of us. I know some of us may even say, I don't really even think silence and solitude is something that I can do because when I sit down, I kind of feel like my mind just kind of wanders and goes off. And I will tell you from personal experience, a lot of times I want to avoid silence and solitude because if I sit down long enough, more than a couple minutes in silence, usually some of the most lousy emotions and things I think about myself tend to rise to my heart. And I do not want to feel those things. But if we will be patient, if we will not settle for mouthwash, but actually settle for the Spirit of God to wash us clean, if we sit in silence long enough, yes, those things bubble up, but they also, in the presence of God, move out of the way for us to see more clearly. So the first thing for us to do when we're not sure about direction is to sit deeper in silence and solitude with God. I think sometimes when we have big decisions before us, people ask us, you know, hey, did you pray? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I prayed. I, I threw some words up at the ceiling. I prayed. And here's what I'm thinking on this thing. No, no, no. If we don't sense a direction with God, why not deeply sit in the presence and promises of God and seek direction? Some questions that could be helpful for us as we sit in silence. The first one, which is a massive question of, am I rushing this decision? I think just a pastoral note that is helpful, the weight of the decision should match the duration of how long we are thinking and praying about decision. The second is, am I avoiding the hard mental work that's needed for this decision? Am I just kind of going off of my instincts or am I actually doing the difficult work? The third is, am I exploring all the options 
that go with this decision? Or do I think it's this or do I think it's this? And sometimes it is. And finally, am I considering the risk and the reward that either options bring with this decision? You know, it's interesting that um, the Spirit of God is described as uh, the peace of God, that the Spirit of God is peaceful. In the Gospels, when the Holy Spirit is described in the activity of descending upon Jesus, the Scriptures say the Spirit is like a, like a dove, that the Spirit gently joins, that the Spirit is delicate. In other words, the Holy Spirit makes gentle touches. The Holy Spirit whispers to our hearts, which means for us to hear the work of the Spirit, our hearts need to be calm and silent and peaceful. And the way that we make sure our hearts are calm and silent and peaceful is actually practicing silence with God. So the first thing we do is we reflect in solitude and silence. The second is trusting the counsel of God. I want you to pay close attention to the order in which the psalmist says this. Nevertheless, I, I am continually with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me with honor. Do you catch that second part? In other words, the psalmist is saying, I'm going to hold on to the God who is holding on to me right now. How? By following the counsel of God. And if we're in the midst of a decision, we don't feel like anything has come to us. I want to encourage us this morning that we are not without counsel. We have been given counsel by God. In the words of Scripture, you don't just have counsel, you actually have a wonderful counselor, and His name is Jesus Christ. Which means even in the moments when we don't feel as if God is speaking to us, we can be assured that God has already spoken to us in Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that Jesus embodies in His fleshly body the will of God for every single body. When you comfort those who mourn, you are doing the will of the Father. When you push back the darkness in the name of Jesus, you are doing the will of the Father. When you show compassion instead of critique, you are doing the will of the Father. When you sacrifice your own flourishing for the flourishing of other people, you are doing the will of the Father. The scriptures speak to how Jesus is the will of God. And that when we follow his path, we are operating in the will of God, no matter if he gives us directions or not. A great example of this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul literally says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's will is for you to orient your life around the same traits and responses of Jesus for you. Maybe think of it this way. Remember the bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think there's a step further. The will of God is what would Jesus do if he were you? He was an ancient rabbi, single man, 
who lived out the will of God? What does it look like for you to live out the will of God in your seat, in what you're doing in life as a father, as someone who works, as someone who takes care of your parents? What does it look like for the will of God to seep and work through your life? I know for some of us, when we have decisions that are in front of us, we had rather God actually just tell us, I'd rather you choose this road. And I understand the desire of that. But sometimes God gives us multiple decisions and he says to us, you choose. You decide. Because one thing that seems to be true that's testified at least in the epistles and through the New Testament is that sometimes God's more in the business of character building than circumstance building. That seems our stories are to line up with the journey of those in Scripture. I think sometimes we think about the decisions of God as if we're like, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to feel an instant peace about one of these options. And I'm going to do the set option. Everything's going to run smoothly. And I'm going to testify to how great God was with me in this decision. The only problem with that is, is that's not any of the stories in the Bible. Most people that God presents options and opportunities to in the Bible usually go some pattern along the lines of like, God, would you really invite me to do that? I don't think I want to do that. Then people feel tortured by that. And then they're like, okay, all right. I guess I'll do this thing. And immediately when they say, I'll do this thing, they're second guessing it. And then usually big problems arise. And they're like, I know I shouldn't have done this whatsoever. And then God carries them through. And then at the very end, they testify and have deeper faith in God. That in that process, and I don't know if y'all are with me this morning, but in that process, God forms you. That it's more of the character inside you than the circumstances around you. Here's how John Ortberg just saying, says it so plainly. He says, faith is not about me getting what I want in my outer world. It's about God getting what God wants in my inner world. So there are some decisions that lay before us that God may not influence or direct us in because it's a chance for you to mature deeply in embodying the DNA of Christ. Maybe think of it, Dallas Willard describes of like when I used to talk to my kids, I used to tell them I want them to go play in the backyard. If my kids are playing in the backyard, they are doing the will of God, whether they're on the, the swing set or if they're in the sandbox or they're playing in the garden, like they are doing my will. And it can look like a lot of different ways because I said, go play in the backyard. Now, are there times where I would like my children to not play in the garden or play with the trash? but instead play in the sandbox? Absolutely. And we should trust that if God has something for us, that God will help us in making that decision. But also, we should be willing to just ask with decisions that there's multiple good options or there's no direction, we should just ask, which of these decisions will help bring me to greater faith and hope and love in Jesus? Sometimes we want to choose the option that's like, this feels the safest, this feels fine whatsoever. What if a different way is to ask, yeah, but which decision will encourage 
my faith, will strengthen my hope, will require me to love greater is Jesus. And then we do the will of the Father. So let me use an analogy from the Super Bowl last week because that makes sense for this situation. Uh, maybe one way to think about your partnership with God is to think like a coach and a quarterback uh, put together. Uh, I'm not here to uh, make any enemies this morning, so I'm not going to talk about Patrick. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Brock. I'm just going to talk about both of them, okay? There are times when the quarterback steps onto the field that the quarterback you will see actually puts his hands around his ears in the helmet because he's actually listening for a voice. He's listening for direction. He's listening for a voice who knows and sees a greater playing field that he can. But also, every good quarterback that also steps on the field also has the ability to call audibles, has the ability to see what's in front of them and actually make decisions. This is kind of what our life with God looks like. Are there times where God speaks and God directs us? Absolutely. Does God speak and direct us in every decision? Not necessarily. Part of life with God is actually learning how to anticipate, to actually see what's in front of us and not have to wait on a word from God, but actually to step into the ways that God wants us to even in the first place. It's like with your kids, right? It's one thing to say to your kids, you know, hey, I want you to go do this thing. It's another thing when your kids go and they do the thing you would have said to them, but they did it without you even telling them. That's what God desires in our life with him. And I know for some of us, if that makes us super anxious, maybe one way to just pray as we move forward is we just pray a prayer that says, you know, God, I'm going this direction. If this is not your direction, would you turn me around? Would you make it clear to me that I need to go another direction? And you know, finally, the way that we can anchor ourselves in the will of God is we direct our desire ultimately for God. The psalmist ends by saying, but who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. What I want to say is that we need to remind ourselves a heart that desires God tends to seek God's desire no matter what the decision ends up being. I think for some of us, we need to be reminded of the good news of the blood of Christ covering us. That Paul actually says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to notice he says work out your salvation, not work for salvation. In essence, your decisions are not to earn or justify or prove the love of God. You have the love of God in Jesus Christ, which means you do not need to walk your life on eggshells all the time. That it's good for us to work on seeing God's work inside us. But we should remember that when we're operating in the will of God, if we're living out the way of Jesus, then we should just trust that sometimes God's going to be like, you can choose this option or this option. And I'm going to go with you and be with you and work through you in either of those options. I think it's also worth noting for some of us that 
you know, in a world that is still on its way to being restored, sometimes we do make the right decision. And still there are people and forces that are at work against us. That many things happen that are not God's will. God does not will evil. But we must trust, even when we make decisions and bad things happen still after that, we must trust in the mysterious wisdom that God does allow this world to wrestle with the powers and decay that's at hand. That we have a God that is so good that even the road we go down when it's not ideally what we want, when it doesn't go the way that we plan, we have a God who we can put our head in his chest and weep and be confident that he will be with us even in the midst of our disappointment. The great news of Jesus Christ that is shown through the raising of his body in the tomb is that God will get what God wants. Whether right now or at the end of time. And there's a great encouragement for us in that. That we can possibly frustrate the will of God, but we're never going to stop the will of God. It's already coming. It's already on the way. Jesus has already rose from the tomb. So sometimes what God does is he gives us wisdom. And he gives us discernment. And he gives us sight. And he says, you choose. Operate within my will. And I will be with you. You know, I want to finish the series just kind of with a pastoral note. And I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up. And if you're going to uh, be in the back to pray with people, I want to go ahead and invite you to go back there as well. Uh, I know for some of us, as we've gone through this series, <laughs> some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I understand making decisions for like big time moments. Man, I'm just trying to make good decisions with my life, big and small. And uh, I want to finish with just kind of an analogy for all of us uh, to think on, to be people who make wise, godly decisions. Uh, it's an analogy that's called the apple tree analogy. I want you to think of it this way. If uh, you had an apple tree in your backyard and every single season, bad apples were growing from that apple tree and someone in your life or your spouse came to you and was like, look, I need some better apples on that apple tree. There's one option you could do. You could go out there with a ladder and a chainsaw and you could cut off all those bad limbs and you could staple some nice, red, big, shiny apples on those trees. And there would be good apples on that tree. But next year when it comes around, those apples would be the same kind of squishy, brown, not very good apples whatsoever. Or we could actually go to the base of the tree. We could actually work on the roots of the tree. And we could talk about what actually provides nutrients for the tree that changes the fruit that is produced. What I'm trying to say for some of us who are caught up in decisions is that we're caught up on making sure the apples look red and healthy and good and tasty. Maybe some of us, we're making decisions because they look good to others. But a deep life with God is one where we let the love of God pour into our hearts to the inside of ourselves. 
and then it produces fruit on the outside of ourselves. It's not about making better decisions on the outside of our lives. It starts with the heart that's making the decision inside of our lives. Or to say it biblically, we don't just clean the outside of the cup. We ask the Lord to clean the inside of the cup. That's what fuels our decisions. So today in a moment, we're going to sing. And if, uh, if you feel you just need the love of God, to be poured into your heart. If you just feel like I, you know, I I make decisions, but it feels kind of more out of obligation than that does for a deep desire for the heart of God who has saved me and who holds me, and I just want to respond back in his love. I would encourage you to go back and receive prayer. Take the first step of watering the roots and just asking for the love of God to pour into our hearts. So Lord, I pray for us to be people who don't just rip off the apples, who are just caught up in one or two decisions, but we're people who we want, we want the ground, we want the soil of our hearts to be tilled and deeply saturated with your love. And then trust that you are working through all of our decisions because of that love. Spirit, I pray if there's anyone in the room who needs to be prayed over this morning, would you nudge them to receive prayer now? It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.